right? We talked some NFL. We talked some Tennessee basketball. I do think it's probably time to have a little State of the Union address when it comes to Tennessee football because a lot has changed since the last time I was on the airwaves. A lot has changed even in the last, you know, couple of weeks between the bowl game and now, you know, with the night of the transfer portal. Bob, where do you want to start? You want to start most recent where Tennessee is kind of, I don't want to say in shambles because that's, that's too strong, but like Tennessee is like, hey, trying to get an offensive lineman here and like we're going in the wrong direction. We're losing starting offensive linemen instead of replacing starting offensive linemen. Or do you want to start positive of just kind of like, hey, Tennessee dominated Iowa, Nico, big picture. Which one interests you more? Let's bask in the positive okay. to start off and then get to the reality. Um, yeah, I that Citrus Bowl game was uh, that was the sexiest 150 yard passing game I think I've seen in a long time. That was uh, it, it was it was nice to see Nico doing his thing. And uh, man, I, I what I wasn't expecting was him to rush the ball 15 times. Yeah, I kind of thought Tennessee, I kind of thought Josh Heupel might look and say, hey, we, we made it through the season without getting this guy hurt. Let's not take any unnecessary hits in this game either. You know, you're still down a couple starting offensive linemen. But instead it was, nope, we're going to put everything on display here. We're going to show you how special this guy is. Here's a quarterback draw for a touchdown. Here's a quarterback power for a touchdown. Here's a scramble where he's going to shake the uh, defensive lineman and get into the end zone. Nico's wills were on display, and I do think that goes a long way into getting people more excited, though. Like, I do think, you know, 150 yards passing, it is what it is. A drop, a, a route that Keaton kind of cut off instead of running to the pylon for a long touchdown. Like, the numbers could have looked better, but 150 yards passing – is one part of the story when you talk about the elusiveness and the athleticism. Yeah, I remember it took me back to when uh, we were uh, in a previous professional life. We were we were shooting a lot of stuff for Nico um, back before he he was just in the process of committing to Tennessee, and he played. You probably remember he came to Knoxville to play in a seven on seven tournament out at Farragut High School, and he was there. We were covering it. He obviously played some quarterback but then he played receiver for a little bit while his brother Madden played quarterback and just watching him run routes against DBs he was he was breaking ankles and that's when I knew I was like man this guy is because there were so many people talking about he's too frail he's not he, is he really an athlete or can he just sling the ball well he he's we saw it now he is an athlete he's slippery he's got I I was I was so happy to see that because that's the little bit of him that I saw a year and a half ago. It was uh, it was exciting. Anyone questioning his athleticism clearly is not up to date on high school volleyball oh, in, in California video. because he he was like one of the top volleyball players in the country, I think. But he is he's a freak athlete, and it did kind of make me wonder if we were if we had kind of relived history, not to have to to break the glass and, and talk about Butch Jones and have to reset the counter of all of that. But, like, that was something we constantly heard whenever he was starting Justin Worley over Josh Dobbs. It was like, hey, you know, practice. Worley's just better. Dobbs isn't that good in practice. And, you know, that's kind of the thing they said about Nico for, you know, the early portions of the season. Like, hey, he doesn't have a full grasp of the offense. Not as good in practice. And then you're like, oh, well, maybe that's because you don't 
actually get to show off your athleticism and your fill in the pocket and outrunning people, you know, in the secondary and getting up to the next level and just being a really good runner because you don't want your quarterbacks taking hits. So, like, Dobbs was a guy who wasn't good in practice, but you threw him in a game and he can run around, make some plays when it's breaking down, and all of a sudden he looks a little better. You can maybe say the same thing for Hinton Hooker, you know, yeah. because obviously something was going on there with Joe Milton being ahead of him on the depth chart in 2021, and then you throw Hinton Hooker in and – some of his brilliance and some of his most brilliant plays was when the pocket broke down and he's out there scrambling. And I do think you kind of saw that with Nico as well, the way he works the pocket. You know, you had uh, players at Tennessee compare him to a tall Bryce Young, and you kind of saw that, right, you know, against Iowa with the, the shoulder dips and the fluidity with which he moved around the pocket and scrambled and, and, and scrambled to buy time and make passes too, not just run. That, that one throw to Keaton's the one I remember. Um, I mean, it was an absolute dime on the sideline. It reminded me of the, uh, I think it was the orange and white game, where he threw that to uh, the tight end. Was it Ethan Davis? Is that his name? So, I believe so. Yeah. So, um, he's got it, man. There's no question about it. There's that it factor with him that uh, just makes me so excited for the coming years. And, and, and I know everybody else feels that way, too. Um Made that, me made me a little sad, just because of the wasted year. I don't want to call it a wasted year because I, I don't know. Maybe sad's not the right. Maybe sad's not the right word. It does make you wonder what could have been. It does make you wonder though, like if it would have been as successful. Because I do think there's some merit to the people who say, "Hey, yeah, like you needed time to sit. You needed time to learn." Like. Maybe you don't get that performance early on in the season. Maybe it was a maturation thing. I don't necessarily buy that, and I do think that, like, that's what the Virginia game was for. That's what the Austin P game could have been for is to get those reps. But, like, when you talk about just having it, that's really what it comes down to. I just think he has it. And, yeah. like, you know, I railed against the, the accusations of frailty all year. I know people say he's small, but, like, we watched Bryce Young do it in the SEC. We watched Johnny Manziel do it in the SEC. Like That's right. those guys didn't break down and, and fall apart and get hurt or like ruin their career. They made it work. And I typically think that that's what would have happened. Now, I don't think Tennessee goes undefeated or anything like that. But I'd, you'll never be able to convince me that Tennessee doesn't go at least eight and four with Nico as a starting quarterback. I, I agree with that. I mean, and maybe maybe one more win than that. I don't know. Sure. But it, yeah, I agree. It's but it pro probably would have been a much more Entertaining product, I would say, too, offensively, because it's, it's had some moments where it's been hard to watch again. Yeah, like it was really crazy to me just when you take a whole snapshot of the season, you add the bowl game here. Let Josh Heupel letting his baby look the way it looked all year is really astounding and, and dumbfounding to me. Like Josh Heupel's baby, of course, is his offense. Like that's why he is in the position he is in. That's why he makes $9 million a year. It's not because of the special teams. It's not because of the defense. It's because of his baby, his offense that he's crafted. You know, it's kind of taken the Art Brawl stuff and taken the elite stuff and gone to a different level with it. And and it looked really, really bad and boring this year. And I don't know how he stood over there for 12 games and just kind of was like, yep, this is how we're going to play this year. I, I, I was thinking the same thing when I was watching that bowl game because you looked across the field and you looked at what Iowa was doing with that Deacon Hill dude who looked like a, like I said on X, like a 40-year-old softball league 
player. I mean, that that felt- we're a show of body positivity, Bob. No putting down the chubby guys. I know what that means when you're calling him a forty year old softball guy. No body shaming. We are a body positive I, show. I'm self aware. I'm a big guy too. But I mean, the the thing is, when I was watching that, I f- couldn't help but think, man, that that's not too far off what we were all season. You know, and I mean, because they were abysmal. Uh, he, you know, he, same thing. He, he had some passes that were on target, got dropped every, I mean, it was just like, it was kind of a, I, I, as I watched that, as excited as I was with how Nico was playing, it did make me think like, man, we were more like that all season long offensively. And that's, that's, that's a shame. I think the football gods and just big God that. We didn't have to watch Deacon Hill versus Joe Milton in that ball game. Oh my God, <laughs> that 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 would have been uh, really, really, really boring. Ah, really, really, really unwatchable. boring. Yeah, unwatchable. I mean, instead you got some juice, and now the vibes are high. You know, like the season. Call it a wasted season. Call it a push of a season. Eight and four. Say we would have killed for nine and four. You know, in any of our past years, and well, like you know, you'd love to have this season. Any point in Tennessee history, you're spoiled. You're just mad because the team was so good two years ago. Whatever you want to say, that's fine. You can't deny that the optimism around the program and the excitement around that game was higher than at any point really during this regular season. Maybe going into Florida, maybe, but I don't even think then people were feeling as good. I think it was just kind of a nervousness, like let's take care of business. And of course, you didn't take care of business, but. The game, the game just went so long, so far into making you feel good about the program again. I agree. I agree. And and one last, for me at least, one last send off to to Joe Milton, and then we can move on. Is that hats off to him for being a good teammate. You know, when Nico scored that first touchdown, Joe was one of the first guys off the sidelines to congratulate him. He didn't didn't stand over to the side, didn't pout out. I guess it doesn't surprise us. We've always heard positive stuff about him as a teammate. So I hope for him his legacy is just, you know, he won that Orange Bowl game, um, and he won that Orange Bowl game. I can't really go much further than that. Maybe he was a good dude and a good teammate, but we're, we're moving on, thankfully. Yes, this is a show of positivity today yes. because otherwise I would say what's the second best Yeah. I Joe didn't. Milton moment because everyone always talks about the Orange Bowl and I was like, okay, what what else? Yeah. And then they kind of stutter and say, well, he's a good teammate and didn't quit. Okay, yeah. But Nico looks the part. You know, Fanduel already has him. I think as the fifth best Heisman odds right. for next year. He should bring Tennessee's offense back. Like Tennessee should look like it did two years ago on offense. Like it should be fast again. It should be moving the ball. Throwing across the middle of the field, doing those things, having a quarterback that's out running and making plays. I'm excited for football. The vibes are high, yet not really translating to some recruiting success, at least at the transfer portal right now. Right now with a couple positions that Tennessee's trying to fill. Sam sent us to break. We'll come back. We'll talk about the offensive line situation because, like I said, you're a starting offensive lineman down. From where you where you need to be, as Gerald Mincy hit the portal and looks like he's headed to somewhere like Ole Miss. Tennessee had a trio of guys they were interested in. So far, not looking too great with the majority of them. We'll dive into that after the break. It's the morning show right here on Fan Run Radio. Ever-
Tennessee has one offensive lineman down as Gerald Mincy hit the portal. Tennessee hosted or tried to host. They weren't successful in even hosting all three. They, they, they tried to get three guys from the portal to look at Tennessee. Lance Hurd, the five-star transfer from LSU, Diego Pounds from North Carolina, and Armage Reed Adams. Tennessee reached out and was interested in all three. I guess the latest updates as we sit here at 8.18 a.m. on Monday, Armage Reed Adams is staying in the state of Texas. Apparently he has a kid, and the family is in Texas, and that's kind of the the reasoning that the VolQuest guys are giving for him staying in Texas is, hey, family. Family. Lance Hurd looks to kind of be down to Tennessee and Oklahoma. He was in Oklahoma on Sunday. At least early on in the day, I was reading that the Oklahoma mods didn't think, you know, mods, I guess, of their own three site, didn't feel great about their chances of landing him. But now I think it's uh, kind of gone back to where they kind of think it's just 50-50. They think it might get uh, an announcement today on where he's going. I, I do think he's probably the biggest of the three in terms of potential and, and, and talent. Diego Pounds, the third guy, the North Carolina transfer, he wasn't able to make it in for his visit. He kind of got stuck and stranded at uh, Ole Miss as his mother was late getting there. So then they kind of talked her into staying there and taking a full visit there. So uh, not a great weekend face value-wise for Tennessee when it comes to the offensive line. Yeah, I, and then there's the Mincy. Yeah, yeah, Mincy. As well. Yeah, yeah. Mincy's gone. Mincy uh, looks I – mean, he's, he's, of course, went through, like, the 12 schools who have contacted him, a lot of SEC schools. People are thinking maybe Ole Miss for him as they continue to load up in the portal. But, uh, yeah, not a great not a great weekend on face value-wise, I guess, for Tennessee when it comes to uh, the offensive line. No, I, I agree. And I – and everybody, there was such, you used the term earlier, positive vibes in terms of what was going on when uh, some of the, you know, the Cooper Mays and the, some of the other guys were deciding to stay. It was like, oh, man, we're back. But now it feels a little, uh, there's a little, the, the shine's off of that now. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to be panicked because, you know, these guys still could choose Tennessee. And, like, I think if you get Lance Hurd out of this, that ultimately you feel like that's a win. Now, I do think you maybe need two guys. So, like, two out of three, you feel great. If you were going to get one, I think Hurd's the one I want. I think most people would probably agree with that. But, yeah, right now you are kind of worried. And, and Sam, do you follow recruiting closely? Are you a recruiting guy? Yeah, I follow it a decent bit. Um, you know, well, How do you feel right now? Because it seems as if, this can only be blamed on the coaching staff and Glenn Ellerby and like his lack of closing or at least maybe his philosophy on closing and and Tennessee has always kind of been said to be more of a take your time, make the best decision for you. We don't want to force anybody or pressure anybody into a commitment. Whereas these other schools are like, hey, you're on campus. We're not letting you leave. Commit. Tell everybody you're coming here. We want you here. Let's make this official. Come on, sign the papers. You know, like you, if you ever been to like a, try to buy a car, those type of salesmen are like, no, no, you're not leaving. You don't need lunch. Don't go home and think about it. Let's do it now. Whereas Tennessee's like, yeah, here's the brochure. 
Take it home. Talk about it with your family. Pray about it. Let us know. And at least in the recruiting world and in the transfer portal, it doesn't seem like on the offensive line that's working very well for Tennessee. Yeah, and I think with the way that the current college football landscape in the terms of NIL is is panning out, I just don't know if that strategy is exactly one that, that exactly works these days. And I think that you know, you do kind of need to maybe open up that checkbook and say, hey, you know, you're a priority. We need you here, uh, you know, and we don't want to let you leave campus without you being a vol, you know, like you're saying. Tweet it out. Exactly. Tell everybody. Right. So it, it does, you know, it feels a little bit of a concern. I think that you have missed on some some high-level blue trip, uh, you know, offensive tackle prospects and stuff like that. Losing Mincy hurts, and, and you know, I think that you need to prioritize – you know some of these guys in the portal, and I and I think that Hurd is a a wonderful opportunity here to be able to go get a, a former five star and a guy that can really do a lot of work on your offensive line. Uh, I think you really need to be aggressive with this one. Uh, you know we talked all year about well if you're gonna you know if you're gonna sit Nico then you need to be able to you know you got to have him ready and prepared for next year, but you also got to protect him. And with Mency leaving here, I think you've kind of got a little bit of a hole there at right tackle. Uh, you know, you've got some developmental guys like like Larry Johnson uh, and, and Sham Umarov kind of waiting in the wings. But I don't know if you want to take a chance on a developmental guy when you've got a guy like Nico and what you saw in the bowl game waiting. You either got a developmental guy or you got somebody like Dane Davis, which no offense to him, he wasn't supposed to be the future at right tackle for Tennessee. Like, he's not supposed to be on the field. Like, he's given effort when he's been out there. Like, I, you know, we appreciate that, a Tennessee kid, all that. But, like, he shouldn't be starting in year four of your program if you're Josh Heupel. So, like, the recruiting on the offensive line what was solid in this last high school cycle, but college football isn't necessarily set up for that model anymore. Like, you don't really get those excuses. Like, it's nice to bring some high school kids in. That's fine. And maybe, you know, someone like Bennett Warren can come in here and play, but probably not as a freshman. And, like, you know, that's two, three years down the road. In today's college football, you're supposed to be able to go out and get guys out of the transfer portal, especially when you've shown that you have an exciting quarterback, you've shown that you're a good offense, you've shown that you can equally run and pass the ball, or at least like that's the that's what Josh Heupel's offense likes to be, 50% run, 50% pass. And by all accounts, you have a really good NIL collective and you're making really strong offers and you're also like, hey, there's also some playing time here. That's what's so alarming to me, Bob, is like you check all the boxes you want in today's age. Playing time opportunities, money, and then like a prestige program and good fan base and like a a team that should be on the rise and yet you're still kind of you know, not landing guys that you maybe should be landing. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's happening, right? I mean, it's uh, or at least not as much as we think it should be. And uh, it's a little troubling. There's no question about it. I'm going to ask a question, though, and it's tied to NIL. It's tied to this whole thing, and it, but it's not us. It's about this uh, announcement last week by Keyshawn Judkins to go into the portal. And the, the thing I want to get you guys' take on very quickly is – you know, Ole Miss is tearing it up, obviously, but is this, do you think a, this is just strictly a money play from him? Just saying, okay, you're going to show me the money? Just what we were talking about. Yeah, the reports that I saw coming out of there, or rumors, or, you know, message board stuff, and obviously I don't have any connections down at, at Ole Miss, so, like, take this for what it's worth. But, like, the, the rumor that's out there is that he was making $800,000 with his NIL, and he went back and said they wanted more, and they're like, no, 
Yeah. Like, basically, we don't even really want to be giving you 800000 And he was like, okay, fine. And he's going to look elsewhere. So, like. That's crazy. Yeah. If you're Ole Miss, I mean, like, you know, the, the idea in the NFL is don't pay running backs, right? So, like, if you are Ole Miss, you maybe take that same salary cap approach of, like, we have X amount of dollars to divvy up to these NFL guys. Judkins is great. But we're going to try to build the defense and the offensive line, and we'll, we'll find a running back that could come, you know, come run the ball in this offense. So, like, it does seem like that might be a uh, a smart move for Lane Kiffin and letting him move on. Speaking of Ole Miss and, and, and Mississippi, and there, there is apparently a new name to keep an eye on, according to Austin Price over at VolQuest. But Percy Lewis, a offensive tackle from Mississippi State, apparently is on Tennessee's radar. So. Add him to the the list of targets as Tennessee clearly knows that they need to uh, get a couple bodies on this offensive line. Do you think that the speed at which Tennessee's offense plays is a little bit of a turnoff maybe for some offensive linemen? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. But, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I can't answer that. But also, you know, you, you talked about the vibes of the offensive linemen coming back. And, you know, John Campbell did say he's coming back. And also – from LSU people that they said that that was kind of the issue though for Hurd at LSU is that he wants to be a left tackle and LSU wasn't letting him be a left tackle because they have a really good one a guy that's going to be a top 10 pick next year probably so like I do wonder like if Tennessee is telling him like hey yeah you can come here and play but that left tackle tackle spot is at least locked down for next year or if they've gone to John Campbell like hey you know maybe you go to right tackle and hey Darnell Wright made a lot of money playing right tackle, and you could show that you're versatile and play multiple spots on the offensive line. I don't know what the reasoning is, Sam. Like, maybe there's a couple of big boys that are like, hey, they go too fast. <laughs> Not going there, but it seems like it seems like more teams are going to start go faster. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's those teams are – it's trending that way, obviously. We're getting back to the, the Chip Kelly, like – when you look at the guys who have been higher in the SEC, like there's going to be like six or seven of these teams running a really fast offense trying to do what Josh Heupel does. Now, none of them have shown they can do it better than Josh Heupel yet or faster than Josh Heupel. But, you know, maybe a couple big boys are like, that's too fast. I don't want to do that conditioning. Maybe. Or maybe it's just uh, Glenn Ellerby can't close. Yeah. Maybe it's just they don't make them feel wanted enough. I don't know. I don't know. But – Tennessee needs at least two offensive linemen here, at least two out of the portal, because you don't want to be picking from the scraps no. in April, because there will be some more guys go to the transfer portal after spring ball or whatever. But those are the tip; those are typically the guys you don't want to like be yeah. relying on. Ollie Lane's done, right? Yeah, he's yeah, gone. He's, he's gone. gone. He's gone. His, he has exhausted his eligibility. He is six years and out. Him and him and Joe Milton can ride off into the sunset together, but. You know, much like I said about Dane Davis, good job by Ali. He yeah, gave his body. Yeah. He he probably shouldn't have been in position to be playing in yes. year three of Josh Heifel. But he squeezed out every bit of talent he had. So, uh, yeah, shout out to him. But, yeah, Tennessee happened to replace him. And then, yeah, now the hole left by, by Mincy. So, the transfer portal is something Tennessee needs to step their game up in. We'll talk about that and more with Ryan Shumpert, Rocky Top Insider. Coming up to join uh, with coming up after the break, he's going to join us to talk some balls. Stick with us. It is the morning show here on Fan Run Radio.
All right, let's go to the phone lines. Let's grab our first guest, Ryan Shumpert, Rocky Top Insider. Ryan, good morning. Thank you for waking up and joining us. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. Appreciate you guys having me on. Scale of 1 to 100, how worried should Tennessee fans be about the offensive line? We're talking about the transfer portal and some guys they're targeting, not trending the best for those guys, at least as the last updates came in. Scale of 1 to 100, how worried should Tennessee fans be? That's a good question. I'd say 65. You know, to me, it's about the tackle spot. you got to figure out. You know, the Adams Reed kid from Kansas, obviously a guy they'd like to have and his versatility would have been really nice, uh, important piece, but I feel confident they're going to be able to get by a guard. I mean, with all due respect, I don't think Ollie Lane was a great player this year, and Tennessee's offensive line from a run-blocking standpoint was still really good, and I don't think Ollie Lane was a, a liability in pass protection. But when you look at the offensive tackle spots and, you know, what if the season started tomorrow, Dayton Davis is probably your starting right tackle. I think that's probably a pretty worrisome development. Um, so you got to go out and find somebody uh, or get Gerald Mincy to come back if that ends up being – your best option, um, but still time to figure it out, but certainly need to add a, another offensive tackle body and, and someone that's capable of starting on the opposite side of John Campbell. Yeah, new name has came out this morning. Mississippi State tackle Percy Lewis, who apparently is set to visit this weekend, which is a little surprising because I thought we were hitting hitting a dead period of this whole transfer portal stuff, but apparently the dead period is only four days. What the hell is the point of the dead period if it's only four days? Yeah, that's a good point. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but heck, not a ton with the transfer portal. It makes a whole lot of sense. You have the, the window closes on what I think was January 1st, and then people were in the portal all throughout last week, and there's a bunch of different stipulations that allow people uh, to re-enter it. So, and no, it doesn't make a ton of sense, but it, it, heck, I feel like you see it maybe less with football, but you see it all the time with baseball, like, a lot of these guys in the transfer portal, they commit without even going on visits these days. So, obviously, that's a, a big piece of it, but still a, a good number of bodies out there. And the four-day uh, the four day debt period doesn't appear like it'll make too big of a difference. Yeah, I think two years ago, Gerald Mincy, speaking of him, I think he committed to Tennessee without visiting or really even like having an offer from the coaches. I think he's just like, hey, I'm coming to Tennessee, and everyone's like, uh, maybe? And then they're like, okay, yeah, come on. And it did work out, even though he is now back in the portal, taking advantage of the NCAA's two-time or transfer, basically just being a, f- a free game now, you know, with no more limitations on that. Do you think Tennessee coaches have a closing problem when it comes to recruiting these big guys? Is it that simple of just letting them leave campus without making them commit? Uh, what do you attribute the issues with Ellerby not being able to land some of these guys? Well, I think as a whole, you almost just have like two nice of guys on Tennessee's staff because what you just said, you know, is a common thing out there. Tennessee's not pushing hard for dudes to commit on visits or not, you know, really trying to pressure kids into committing. And like that's the nice thing to do. That's probably how recruiting should work, but that's not the reality of how it works, and that's not how you recruit at the highest level. I mean, Clemson, I you know everybody does it, but Clemson's notorious for it for saying, oh, we're going to pull your scholarship or you're not going to have a spot. And once you commit, you better not go on visits. And, you know, that's how you do it most effectively, I think. So I think that's part of it. Certainly, I don't know if that's specifically the issue of Glenn Ellerby. I mean, that's the spot probably more than anywhere else on the staff where they have just 
really struggled to close the top guys, and they've been involved with a, a ton of top names. And Bennett Warren was obviously a huge land for them in this last class, but as a whole, they haven't landed a ton of those guys. So uh, I think that's probably part of the issue. You know, I think that's one area they've maybe even missed Alex Golis just as a whole, kind of being that alpha dog, both as a coach and as a recruiter. Um, but uh, I think that's certainly something worth watching. And, you know, I think you got to give Glenn Ellerby a lot of credit for his ability to band-aid and patch things together pretty well and i think that has been a big part of tennessee's floor being raised so much under josh heupel but if they're really going to get to where they want to get to and competing for an sec championship competing for a national championship they they simply have to recruit better on the offensive line yeah it does feel like the nice guy approach should work with like high school kids when you have years to develop relationships and you're trying to court the parents and it's like a little bit of a bigger decision or at least a a relationship thing, but like once you get to the transfer portal, it's it's kind of like going home at the end of the night at the bar. Like you, you don't have time to to plant those seeds. It's like, hey, here are my options. Here's here's the best fit. Here's where I'm going. You need to be a little bit more aggressive there. We're talking with Ryan Shumper, Rocky Top Insider. Hey, Ryan, it's Bob. Have we met? Um, maybe a time or two. Yeah, maybe a time or two. No, hey, man, thanks for joining us, but. I'm going to jump tracks here and talk about a kid that is coming in, apparently. Tell us what you know about this. I love the name. Jack Van Dorselaer, the the tight end that's coming in. Sounds like an action hero name, but uh, uh, kind of an early commitment. But uh, what's your what's your take on him? Well, it's a big get for Alec Ablin for, you know, a number of reasons. For, you know, number one, it's the first player that he offered once he got Tennessee's tight ends job I guess right around this time last year I think it was when Tennessee officially made that hire and to John's point that he just made about high school recruiting and building relationships you know that was kind of what Ablin suffered from I guess in his first recruiting cycle it was a very very bad prep recruiting cycle for Alec Ablin he Tennessee missed out on I don't know four or five blue chip guys that they were in the, the final group four, and then obviously the one guy that they had committed, and it felt like Ablin had done a really good job of holding on to. Jonathan Eccles ends up flipping and following Alex Golish to South Florida. So uh, Ablin got a huge get in the transfer portal when he got Holden Stays. That was a big recruiting win, but he needed a prep recruiting win and to go out and get who was clearly from day one, you know, the number one guy that he liked in this, I guess, becoming the 2025 recruiting cycle, I think is a big get. So. Uh, a really physical guy, I think a guy that's going to be a really good blocker. You know, a lot of times with prep tight ends, kind of just playing receiver in, in high school, and you're kind of trying to add that blocking element on when they get there. And certainly there will need to be some development, but I think he's probably about as well-rounded as a tight end as you're going to find uh, in, as a junior in high school. Um, and it's certainly a, a big gift for Tennessee to land a four-star. Four-star, top 200 player on some sites. So, yeah, it does seem like a, a legitimate blue chipper. So, it does seem like Tennessee's picked up some tight ends, though. It does seem like Ablin's doing a little bit better job Absolutely. there in terms of closing the deal. So, shout-out to him. At least there's one guy on staff recruiting his position well right now. Outside of Pope. Pope's been great at wide receiver. Yeah, Pope, Pope's been fantastic. Yeah. And that's You kind of point to with both those guys of, Man, you know, Heupel just keep he, all these hires he's made, and he hasn't. He's been very tentative. I don't think he's even fired a single assistant coach. He's been tentative to make these changes, and the, when he does, he's always going in house. And I think after Ablin, you know, it's very easy to just say, you know, he's got he's got to shake up the boat some. And, and Kelsey Pope is certainly a good example that sometimes those inside hires certainly are the best decisions, and those guys uh, are able to recruit 
um, and, and do do their jobs at a high level. Do you think this is a good philosophy to have, though? Because I think it's kind of, I mean, it's obviously unique to, uh, you know, not make any firings or not make any big staff changes and only kind of do things in-house. Can you succeed in the SEC high-level football doing that? Because I do think you could make the case, whether it be, you know, William Martinez or Ellerby or, you know, some other guys, maybe not pulling their weight at a at a top prestigious level in the SEC? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, you know, just on pure principle, you probably can, but I don't think Tennessee's necessarily recruiting at a high enough level to to do that. And that's, you know, from a position coach standpoint, and and offensive line is a little bit different. But outside of that, man, coaching the players, that's all great. But it's about going out there and winning recruiting battles. I mean, that's the most important part of your job is a – position coach, non-coordinator, is to be able to recruit at a really high level. And I don't think Tennessee is recruiting at a high enough level right now to get to the very top of the sport. And, you know, certainly the, the great equalizer, I say it all the time, the great equalizer in football's quarterback position and, and Nico Yamaliava might be good enough to truly pull Tennessee and make up, you know, that gap. Hendon Hooker certainly was pretty darn close to doing it two years ago when Tennessee's roster, from a talent standpoint, was even worse than it's going to be uh, when and Ian Maliava's starting tenure, but uh, it feels like Tennessee needs to update, upgrade uh, recruiting at a couple spots on the staff, and uh, certainly Heupel seems tentative to do that, and I don't necessarily think, like, you know, I've heard some people say, you know, this year wasn't good, and you got to make a statement that, you know, that this isn't acceptable, and that's why Heupel should have made moves. I don't really agree with that. I don't think you have to fire guys just for the sake of firing guys because the season wasn't great. I don't think the position coaches and how they coached was the reason the season didn't go uh, the way the way that Tennessee wanted it to. I think that was Josh Heupel decisions that led to that. So uh, certainly uh, it's something you look at going forward, and I don't think necessarily just not firing guys is a a negative, but I don't necessarily think Tennessee's recruiting at a high enough level either. That's uh, a great summary there, Ryan. We're going to jump tracks now, so that's like one chapter of our uh, segment with you today. The second one is, we're going to move to basketball now um, because there's obviously some good things going on there. Um, got a top five team. Had a big win on Saturday night. Um, saw your follow-up story, by the way, on Jemai Meshack. Think back to your first story on him on uh, RockyTopInsider.com earlier. I mean, it's just great to see what's happening with that kid. But let me ask you this. In terms of uh, – I was at the game, and to me – we were talking about it earlier. Outside of that first half shooting drought from three-point range, uh, we righted the ship there about as complete a win as I've seen. But you've been even closer to the team than any of us. Just, I'd love to get your thoughts on the win, but also how it stacks up with some of the other performances they've had this season because I, I can't think of many where they were this just dominant in a game. I certainly think it was their most dominant, most complete performance of the year. And, some of it's going to be, let's see what Ole Miss does the rest of the way. Obviously, they came in number 22. They came in undefeated, but with a pretty light non-conference schedule, and Ken Palm was really, really low on them. I think they were like 82 going into that game on Ken Palm. So some of it, we can look back, and Ole Miss writes the ship, and Ole Miss is going to be an NCAA tournament team. And I think you're going to look at it and say, yeah, that was an exceptional win, and Tennessee played really well. And we might look back and Ole Miss could be pretty average in SEC play, and you'll say, yeah, Tennessee played well and it was a good win, but 
not a crazy performance for Tennessee playing at home against a, a team that's not going to make the NCAA tournament. So some of it I think you still kind of have to wait and see, but from a, a, just a complete standpoint, it, it did feel like their best win. And you hit the nail on the head. I think Tennessee starts the game 1-12 or 1-13 from three-point range, and really that allowed Ole Miss to hang around in the game. But even then, it, there was never really a point you felt like Ole Miss was going to win the game or Ole Miss uh, was really, really going to push Tennessee. I mean, even for a large part of the first half, Tennessee was up by – you know, eight, ten points. So uh, Tennessee, after that, was finally got shots to go, and they just ran away with it. And Zakai Ziegler, who has just steadily played better and better uh, ever since the Maui Invitational when he was really bad, I thought that was his best game of the season. Jonas Adu, after uh, a few games, slump looked a lot more like the guy that we saw earlier in the season who really looked like he turned the corner, and it felt like a complete performance all around. When you talk about best wins, best performances of the season, you know, I still – tend to lean towards Wisconsin, and part of that's just because you know what you have in Wisconsin, and I think they've been even better than you maybe thought at the time, but to go on the road in the Cole Center, uh, a raucous environment, super early in the season, game two of the season, and lead really start to finish, and be pushed continually. Wisconsin made a bunch of runs in that game, and Tennessee had answers for it the entire time, and to win by 10 points, to me that still felt like Tennessee's best performance of the season, but uh, Mississippi probably the most complete and maybe the the best they've played while maybe not being the most impressive win. Yeah, we've seen that Wisconsin win is definitely picking up some value to us now because they're they're playing at a high level, and um, I agree with you. The Kohl Center is one of the toughest places to play uh, in the country. So that was a big win. Um, let's talk about the upcoming week because, uh, you know, there's no rest for the weary uh, in in terms of what's – happening with SEC play. Um, it's a conference that there's obviously top-tier teams. There's our team. There's uh, there's Kentucky, uh, Auburn. But the middle of that conference is going to be tough. We're seeing it already. Um, and we're playing two of those kind of middle-of-the-conference teams, in my mind, this week. You've got Mississippi State down at the hump. You've got uh, – A top-30 team, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So you call them middle-of-the-pack SEC, but they're – Upper tier when it comes to just right. in the country, they're yeah. number twenty nine right now on Ken Palm's ratings, and they're big, physical. You know, we, they're never pretty games down in in uh, in in the hump. So, uh, just curious about your thoughts on that game, and then the follow up with Georgia on Saturday, who's what won nine in a row, and Mike White seems to have them humming as well. And I don't love our past for the most part in Stegman either. So, uh, just love to get your thoughts going into those games. Yeah, I'll work backwards where. Georgia, I think, has improved. Still a game on the road Tennessee should take care of fairly easily or fairly drama-free. But, no, you hit the nail on the head. Stegman Coliseum is a place that it feels like Tennessee just absolutely never plays well at. And even two years ago when, heck, that was the Kennedy-Chandler team and Tennessee was playing really well in February, and that was the Tom Crean final team at Georgia who, what, I don't think won a game in SEC play, or maybe they won one game in SEC play. They won like six games that year. And Tennessee, again, he didn't necessarily feel like they were going to lose, but Tennessee wins that game by four points. So uh, never seems to be easy for Tennessee uh, in Stegman Coliseum. But, but one, I still, even though George's playing better, I still think Tennessee will win pretty handedly. Uh, the Mississippi State game, the one, is the one I think is significantly harder than probably most people will credit it for. This is a Mississippi State team that is plays very similar to how they've played the last two years, uh, but they've just, as they have each of the last two years, I think they've just gradually gotten better and, this is a no-doubt NCAA tournament team, uh, a team that's going to be probably somewhere in that 7-10 to 10 seed range. I think they're going to 
really avoid being on the bubble. And, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head with their identity. They're extremely physical. They're big. They're going to be able to hit the glass hard. And I think that when you go on the road, it's something that can make you worrisome if you're Tennessee, just from the standpoint of if Tennessee doesn't shoot well from the perimeter – uh, they could have a hard time scoring, and they could have a hard time getting those second-chance opportunities and really capitalizing there like they, they've done a better job of as of late. So uh, I think it's going to be a tough game, a game Tennessee will be favored in, but certainly is far from a layover. I, you know, I can't imagine that will be any more than a five-point point spread and probably even a little bit less than that. So uh, it's going to be a tough game. And you know, I think that brings me to my greater point with this Tennessee team. And, and look, the Ole Miss game was great. Tennessee looked dominant. They looked like a Final Four contender. But, you know, we've seen Tennessee do that. We've seen Tennessee at their highs look fantastic the last few years. What I want to see from this Tennessee team is the consistency in the floor being raised. And you know every time you go out there that you're not going to lay a dud offensively and you're going to score 70-plus points and you're not going to be liable to score 58 and have to win a game scoring 62 points or 63 points. That's where you haven't seen the consistency from Tennessee the last few years, that's what I want to see from this Tennessee team. And I think when you talk about that, Mississippi State is a really tough test because it's going to be a team hungry for a win after losing the rest of the opener at South Carolina. Another challenging game for them against Alabama coming up on Saturday, so it's going to be a huge game for them and a team that's identity really is on that defensive side of the ball or defensive side of the court. A quad one opportunity on Wednesday as Mississippi State a, uh, I think hanging around number 32, 33 in the net ranking. So a big resume opportunity for Tennessee to add to it. Ryan Schumpert, RockyTopInsider.com. You can follow his work. You got anything going up in the uh, today, Ryan? Uh, we'll have plenty of uh, normal stuff. Stuff looking at the transfer portal, uh, AP poll. I'm going to have another basketball piece. Kind of talking a little bit about what I just talked about, uh, Tennessee trying to find consistency offensively. So, Always stuff over there, nothing uh, out of the ordinary or super special today, but plenty of content as there always is. Rshump00 on X if you want to give him a follow. Appreciate you hopping on with us. Hey, are you hitting the road at all for any of these games this week, Ryan? I'll be at both of them, so headed down to Starkville Wednesday and we'll be headed down to Athens on Saturday. You are a warrior, my man. Thank you. Make sure to keep good receipts for your expense report, Ryan. I'll (laughs) make sure the boss gets it here. Yeah, no no problem about that. I got that part down by now. Yeah, Appreciate you, brother. Talk to you later. Yeah, appreciate you guys having me on. Y'all have a good one. Thank you, man. Good job by you, Sam. Great questions. (laughs) Great job. Ryan's good. Ryan's good. No rest for him. You know, you talked about uh, heading from football right to basketball now two games a week and that's a lot of time he's gonna have to going down to mississippi i know well he he got a little bit of a break i mean we we did load balance a little bit and he uh he didn't go to the citrus bowl but he was you know making sure he held the fort down for some of those rough basketball games but uh yeah we're we're, we're covering it all good job by you ryan uh you, you don't get to go to orlando you don't get to go to florida but we're gonna send you to starkville mississippi Thanks for holding the fort down. Make sure you come to that Norfolk State game. <laughs> he, he, he elected to do that, by the way. It's, you know, he's, he's a team player. So, uh, yeah. Disney World, no. Whatever the hell they can do in Starkville, yes. I don't, I don't even know. I've never been. I, I got to tell you, my, my, my oldest went to school in Orlando, and it's, it's, uh, it's overrated for sure if you're going to spend any extended time down there. Uh, it's, 
go to UCF or is no? He actually went school? to a tech school down there. Oh, that's and, right. And um, yeah, and he uh, he he was miserable by the end of it. But he loved the school. It was about Orlando in general. I mean, it's a it's a tough place. I mean, it's got a lot to offer, much more than Starkville, of course. But it's uh, it ain't a lot of fun if you're a permanent resident there. You can uh, go to a magic game or to a theme park. Go watch wrestling. I think the NXT, the the minor league, the WWE developmental thing is down in Orlando. And outside of that, I don't know what else it really has to offer. Yeah, not a lot. Yeah. But, well, again, tourism's their main business, so that's the game in town for that city. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, it's interesting hearing uh, Ryan's point of view too. On uh, it kind of validates some of the things we were talking about earlier. Back to football for a second about what's going on with. How we're recruiting on this offensive line, and, and you know just what the what the mindset is for for how we're handling it because it's kind of kill or be killed these days. That's what I'm worried about, though. And you know that's kind of what I said with Ryan. Like, it seems like this coaching staff, or at least some guys on the coaching staff, maybe maybe Glenn Ellerby on the offensive line. It seems like they are almost too nice. Especially for the transfer portal era, yeah. Like it, you say, killer be killed. I mean, there is something to that. You have to, you have to be closing. And you know, with high school, like I said, you, you have time to develop relationships. You could play a little bit more of the long game. But it does seem like with transfer portals, I mean, you get maybe four hours with these guys. I mean, I, wasn't that like the report that Herb was only here for like four hours? I think on his visit, like you don't have a lot of time with these guys. You, you gotta. Present your case, sell, and then be like, hey, so what do you think? Let's sign on the dotted line. Like and it it seems like if you let a guy go to a different school, you're gonna lose you're gonna lose those opportunities and you're gonna lose that momentum and A B C always be closing. Mm-hmm. That's right? what that's what they say. And you know, you, you can't let them off the lot and we've been doing a lot of that and, and I don't know if other schools are necessarily doing the same. Uh, now, maybe this is all for not. Maybe Tennessee lands a couple guys and, like, the 65 level of uh, the panic meter he gave us can, you know, really go down and you can kind of solidify and fortify that offensive line. But I'm worried about the offensive line, not so much for next year, but, like, the year after that and just, like, the trend. Again, this is – you're heading into year four of Josh Heupel, like you should have a solidified offensive line, especially blocking for what I call the most important player in Tennessee, you know, history since Peyton Manning, like the most important guy since Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning the most important guy since the turn of the millennium for Tennessee football. Yeah, and you, what you just said a minute ago stuck with me in terms of, um, you know, I the the whole concept of the bar analogy, the, the taking somebody home from the bar, you got well, got to be more aggressive. Still or, thinking about that. Yeah. yeah. No, I just I, I really think that it's a situation where um, we when you think about how we talk about where Tennessee aspires to be, and that's back in the game with you know the biggest names, right? Well, some of those schools, one of two things, either A, they're doing it differently, or B, they don't have to, they, they can do it what we feel is the right way because of their stature and their standing. Tennessee's not there yet. Mm-hmm. They think they might be. I mean, the fan base may think they might be, but they're not. And so the question is, how hard, how much harder do you have to go and how much, again, of that kill or be killed mentality do you take? I think there's got to be more of that for sure. Well, the, the 
irony of it is if there is a position that you would think that maybe you could do it the old-fashioned way of look at this tangible proven success it would be the offensive line because Tennessee's had a good offensive line true and you also had a top 10 pick you know at the it's the highest pick Josh Heupel's had as the highest pick Tennessee's had in a long time was you know Darnell Wright so right. like maybe you could point and say hey we did develop this guy and tap into this potential and we did get him drafted in the top 10 trust us instead that's the position you're kind of striking out on. It's true. It's true. Hour two is over. We got a jam packed hour three. We'll check in with Russell. We'll talk to the head coach of the Tennessee basketball team, Rick Barnes. Stick with, stick with us. It is the morning show right here on Fan Run Radio.